Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's Tuesday here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt at an appointment this afternoon, so it's Elijah Herbal taking you through what we got planned today is a best of Hale Varsity Radio. So we haven't got the chance to do one of these in a while. Some good stuff coming up. Trev Alberts, as well as uh, Lars Anderson. But first, we're going to go back to... June 30th, when we had Phil Steele on the program, and we're going to evaluate how accurate was Phil Steele's college football preview when he came back on the show. Here he is, Phil Steele. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's talk college football. Let's talk college football preview. And we say hi to Phil Steele, uh, back on the show again, at PhilSteele042 is uh, where you find him on Twitter, PhilSteele.com. And, of course, newsstands everywhere to get that college football 2021 preview. Phil, it's awesome to spend time with you again. How are you? You know, I am doing great, Chris. So much better than last year at this time when we were wondering if we're even going to play football for the season. So it's a, it's a positive knowing that we got the schedules and we're playing football. One quick thing I want to point out to you is uh, you mentioned the magazines available everywhere. We did make a change this year. We're only at Barnes & Noble and Books of Millions. So I want to save your listeners a little bit of gas money driving around looking for it. Only at Barnes & Noble and only at Books of Millions this year. But uh, I'm doing great. How about yourself, Chris? You know, we're ready for some football in Lincoln. We're ready for football in Nebraska and ready for a winning season in Nebraska, (laughs) Phil. Uh, As you look at at Nebraska, let's start right there. And I know you go through every previous season. You put together uh, what you put together and you've done for decades at, at the highest level. How did you even digest, process, COVID 2020 when you looked at at other teams, let alone Nebraska? Well, you know, some teams you could look at it and uh, it was basically normal for them, where if you played 11, 12 games, Mm didn't have lose a lot of players to covid but those were more the exception to the rule we had teams that played like miami of ohio i think played three games last year had three of their games canceled teams had their season canceled like the big 10 did then brought back played a different schedule the covid testing would have teams shorthanded for some games there were some mismatches where teams were down 30 players so i mean you really had to look at it on an individual basis all i could say chris is thank goodness we played college football Thank goodness we crowned champions in each conference and crowned a national champ at the end of the year. When we start out uh, nationally, and, and Nick Saban, I could I still see the smile on his face with what his team accomplished, how loaded they were, but but just the 
the investment they put in, the buy-in to, to kind of soldier through COVID, and, and they wound up on, on top. As we take a national look, Phil, who's, who's on your radar before we get to some Big Ten action? Usual suspects, I assume, as far as some of the favorites, some of the teams that are supposed to be in the playoff again? Yeah, I went way out on a limb here, Chris. I went with uh, Alabama out of the SEC, Clemson out of the ACC, uh, how about Ohio State out of the Big Ten? And then their shocker, Oklahoma out of the Big 12. Uh, but I think there are two teams that are right on the doorstep of, of getting in there that aren't your normal names. One would be Georgia. Uh, I think when you look at Georgia, they open up with Clemson in the opener. If they win that, they'll be favored in all the rest of their games. They've got a very good SEC schedule. Only three SEC road games. They avoid Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU out of the West. Uh, I think Georgia's got a chance to enter into the party this year. And then Texas A&M. And A&M was close last year. Remember Selection Sunday? Mm-hmm. Is it Ohio State? Is it Texas A&M? And uh, Ohio State just barely beat them out. Talking to Coach Fisher, even though they lose four offensive linemen, he, he felt that last year, that this year's offensive line would be more athletic than last year's offensive line, and perhaps even better. And they lose their quarterback, but I think Haynes King can come in and do what Kellamon did last year. And they get that game against Alabama on home, at home on October the 9th. So if anybody's going to knock Alabama out of the uh, SEC and out of the playoffs, I think Texas A&M or Georgia are your two best threats. They are on the doorstep. A&M's always had insane talent, but uh, for whatever reason, they they'd stubbed their toe, and this goes back to the Big 12 and obviously into the SEC, but now you got Jimbo, a championship-winning coach there, to, to pair with that talent, big things could happen in College Station. I love your Georgia take, too, especially with the fact there there's just three road games for them and there's not uh, a vicious crossover for them in the, uh, the SEC West. Phil, let's look at Big Ten action and uh, let's focus in on Nebraska. What's your feel? What's your read here as we go into to year four of the Frost era? Uh, a little bit of a shakeup you, you probably knew about, and that is no more Bill Moose here in Lincoln as the athletic director. That happened last Friday. Yeah, and it's uh, Nebraska's a tough team to gauge because it could go either way. Uh, you look at the talent they have coming back. They've got 17 returning starters. The one thing I'll mention is everybody's got 16, 17, 18 returning right. starters. You know, you look at the Pac-12, for example, uh, Colorado has 16 returning starters this year. You think, wow, that's probably second or third best in the conference. It's actually second worst in the conference. <laughs> so everybody's got 16, 17, 18 starters back. Uh, when I look at Nebraska, I see this is clearly Scott Frost's most talented team. They've got to get Adrian Martinez to play like he did a couple of years ago, rather than what we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, a little concern about the backup spot, losing Luke McCaffrey to Louisville and now to Rice, which, by the way, we captured in the magazine. We've got him as a starting quarterback at Rice this year. I think everybody else has him as a backup quarterback at Louisville. But uh, the talent's there throughout. Uh, Nebraska's got a lot of positions that rank in my uh, upper units. But the big question mark would have to be the schedule. And, uh, you know, you're going to be clearly an underdog when it comes to Oklahoma. Uh, By the way, love to see that rivalry renewed. I remember back in the the 70s when uh, they played the Irresistible Force versus a movable object. It was the game of all time. 
uh, Johnny Rogers with those punt return touchdown. Uh, just a great game. So I'm glad to see that rivalry renewed there. But other games will probably be an underdog in this year. Might be at Minnesota, Ohio State at home, at Wisconsin, even Iowa at home. And then there's toss-up games on the schedule. Uh, I think that traveling to Michigan State and Illinois, not going to be easy. Northwestern at home, not easy. Michigan at home, not easy. So there's a lot of games where they've been losing close games in the last couple of years. If they continue to lose close games, it's going to be a disappointing season. But if they can break through and start playing with some confidence, they can actually get to the plus side of the ledger. So it's it's one of those teams that I can see going either way this year. Phil Steele's with us. Hale Varsity Radio College Football Preview. Uh, can log on philsteel.com or head to Barnes and Noble and get your college football Bible for 2021. That's the that's the story of a lot of big Big Ten teams. Phil is how are you in in, in one possession games? How are your special teams units? And the thing that's just crunch crush Nebraska uh, even before Frost and for for years now has been the turnover bug and is that a number as you as you do research and look at some of the data the nebraska turnover margin does that jump out to you you know what and this year though it jumps out to me in a in a positive way because last year they were minus 11 turnovers in a shortened season and I won't get into too many specifics, but I did a little formula, and because mm-hmm. the turnover equals turnaround is generally based on a 12-game season. Mm-hmm. But there, if in this case, if you had eight minus eight in turnovers, you qualified for it because if you only played seven games, the amount of turnovers per game, et cetera. But anyway, Nebraska qualified for turnovers equals turnaround regardless. They had minus 11 turnovers last year. And uh, what that says is generally teams that had negative double-digit turnovers one year have a better record the next year. And if you go back and look at Nebraska in the past, let's just say in the last seven years, only once has Nebraska had double-digit turnovers, and that was back in 2015 when they were minus 12 in turnovers. And that year they went 6-7. and seven. Well, the next year they rebounded in 2016, went all the way up to 9-4. and four. Why? Because the turnovers, which are somewhat of a luck thing, not necessarily, but uh, it is a little bit of a luck factor. Uh, it, it switched the other way and that was the the first article i wrote for the magazine back 27 years ago it's proven to be about a 75 percent success rate every single year so nebraska's got that working for him this year the fact that they were minus 11 turnovers last year phil Steele's with us hail varsity radio uh question mark for you with uh with nebraska here uh, schedule wise and, and you mentioned a lot of the coin flip games is there a barometer game for you on nebraska's schedule or is there okay they win this game maybe it could flip this season I am going to say they need to win early. <laughs> Nebraska has to get to that midpoint of the season. I'll use Michigan as your big game, I think. Okay. I think they need to beat Michigan at home. If they do, it could could be a big thing. If at that point Nebraska gets to maybe 4-2 and two or 5-1, and one, which is definitely a potential, then everything looks good. But you look at those final five games, they figure to be an underdog in four of the last five games. You know, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa are three powers in the Big Ten this year, and Minnesota's got to be played on the road. So uh, as opposed to 
one specific game, I think let's just go ahead and use a litmus test and say if it's 3-3 three and three at midseason, it's probably not going to turn out to be good. We need to have a winning record at midseason this year. Phil, when you look at the rest of the West here, let's talk Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern. I'm interested to see, you know, if Purdue bounces back. Uh, they've got some offensive talent with Bell, obviously, and Bielema's back in the Big Ten. That's a monster opener for Nebraska at Illinois. It's a game they should win. I don't know that they will, but uh, th- those teams that, that have been jockeying for that West division, it's been Wisconsin's or it's been Northwestern's, but you've had good years from Minnesota. And and, uh, and and Iowa's been really talented as well. Uh, from a pecking order standpoint, who edges out as your West favorite? Well, I'm going to go, and first of all, I think that the, the West is very deep. Uh, you know, let me go to the bottom of it for starters mm-hmm. uh, and take a look at Illinois. You mentioned Bielema's coming in. When is Brett Bielema at his best? When he's got a big veteran offensive line. I remember talking to Coach Lovey Smith last year going over the offensive line, and he said, Phil, we've got five NFL guys on the offensive line. And then I asked Coach Bielema this year. I said, you know what? Coach Smith felt you had five NFL guys on the offensive line. How do you feel? He's like, Phil, I think we have five NFL guys on the offensive line. And so if you've got five NFL guys on your offensive line, you're in good shape because they're all back this year, basically. Uh, they get the veteran quarterback and, and Brandon Peters. And it just shows you the depth of the West because I picked them last. But as you touched on, that's a dangerous game in the opener. But for my number one pick in the West this year, I'm all with Wisconsin. And I feel pretty good about that. I think Wisconsin, I rate as my number two surprise team in the country. A surprise team is a non-top ten team that I think uh, can contend for a playoff spot. And Wisconsin has 17 returning starters coming back. Now, Nebraska didn't get to play Wisconsin last year, but if you watch any Wisconsin games, you know they didn't run the football like they normally do. They only averaged, uh, as a team, uh, 3.9 yards per carry last year, which is definitely not your typical five or six yards per carry. They've got a veteran off offensive line coming back. They've got what I call four VHT running backs this year, led by Jalen Berger, who emerged at the end of last season. I think the run game's gets back to normal for Wisconsin. They've got Graham Mertz at quarterback. He had 20-21 in the opener last year and then sort of tallied off. I think he'll be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And defensively, they've got practically the whole unit back, including my number six linebackers in the country and number 10 DBs. Uh, And then you look at their schedule. Their road games are against Minnesota, Rutgers, Purdue, and Illinois. All four winnable. They play Notre Dame and Chicago, but I think this team has got a chance of uh, potentially running the table this year. And if they make it to the Big Ten title game, Chris, uh, they've given Ohio State a battle in each of the last two Big Ten title games. So they're, they're my number two surprise team in the country. Phil Steele's with us. A few more minutes. Hail Varsity Radio, the Phil Steele College Football Preview 2021. Get to a, a Barnes & Noble or log on philsteel.com and get your issue today. Uh, as we look at the, the East, who do you think challenges Ohio State? And let me follow that up with, is does Indiana drop off or do they continue that, that ascent? Because, man, they were fun last year. Oh, they sure were a lot of fun. Uh, I I don't know if anybody's going to really challenge Ohio State this year because they get Penn State at home in a big game, and I still think they've got a slight edge on Indiana talent-wise or a decent edge there. But uh, I've got Penn State coming in second in the East. They are my number one most improved team in the country. And keep in mind, they were number seven in the AP poll at the start of last year. Lost their first five games, but it wasn't because they were getting outplayed at the line of scrimmage. You go back to that Indiana game that Penn State lost last year, 
they had a 488 to 211 yard edge. Now, how many games do you lose where you've got that massive of a yardage edge? But they somehow, they, Indiana let their running back score a touchdown. They got the two point conversion controversial at the end, and they lost. I think Penn State gets back to close to double digit wins, if not double digit wins this year, coming off a losing season. But Tom Allen's doing a fantastic job at Indiana, and this might be his best team yet. He needs to keep his quarterback healthy, and that's Michael Penix Jr. If Michael Penix Jr. is healthy, they've got the running backs, they've got the receivers, D.J. Matthews, Fry Fogel, Miles Marshall, Peyton Hendershot. It's one of the better receiving groups in the, in the entire country. The defense, Tom Allen knows defense. He's got my number five set of linebackers with Micah McFadden, uh, Marcelio Ball-McCray, who missed last year with injury, Cam Jones, and then in the secondary, I rate them number seven in the country, led by a couple of All-American candidates dates in Tiwan Mullen uh, and Devon Matthews. So this is a very talented Indiana team that I've actually pegged ahead of Michigan this year. And uh, I, I think that they're they're a challenger for that number two spot in the East. That back seven sounds uh, dynamite for Indiana. I know it's a little bit tougher schedule for them this year, but uh, they, they've got a lot back. And Tom Allen, man, those kids love him and they play well. I'll be anxious to talk with him at Big Ten Media Days coming up. Uh, Phil Steele's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Phil, as we say goodbye, yay or nay, does Nebraska get to a bowl game this year? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a coin flip there, Chris. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll, if they are 4-2 at midseason, yes. Okay. How's that? Phil, it's awesome to get caught up. We'll, we'll chat again soon, and thanks for giving us a few minutes with Hale Varsity. Chris, I always enjoy talking football with you, my friend. You know that, so thanks for having me on. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. It's Elijah Herbal back in here for a best of Hale Varsity Radio. You just heard from Phil Steele as he was previewing his college football preview. Uh, pretty on the money with Nebraska, a little bit off on Indiana, a little bit off on Wisconsin. Interesting to hear that one again. Next, we got Trev Alberts for you in a two-parter. This goes back to our YouTube Tuesday series from last year. Trev Alberts talking UCLA 1994. Back with you, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's YouTube Tuesday time, and we welcome in a college football Hall of Famer, Nebraska Hall of Famer, the Butkus Award winner in 93, and the athletic director at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. We say hi again to Trev Alberts. Trev, how's your Tuesday going? It's going quite well. Thank you very much. Well, appreciate your time. And, Trev, what a, what a magical season 93 was for Nebraska uh, a chance uh, to win it all undefeated going into the Orange Bowl. And uh, let's go back to, to camp before we get to the UCLA game. And, uh, you know, as a senior, you, you guys had built up and uh, you, you had a pretty good squad, a little young on offense, but a, a pretty vaunted defense. How are you feeling as one of the team leaders going into that senior year? Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the things that uh, often gets – overlooked and maybe missed is uh, while the the previous Orange Bowl, um, you know, we lost by a couple touchdowns to Florida State. I That was my junior year. I, I really think um, we, we could feel that we were closing the gap. We, we could feel that, that we had some, as you mentioned, some young talent. We had some veteran leadership, some hard workers, some character, uh, but we also had some young emerging talent. And so the gap was closing. And that whole offseason, I think, we started to feel pretty good about the fact that you know we had a chance to be to be a really good football team. Uh, we had guys like Lance Lundberg and Gerald Armstrong. John Reese was a 
a captain with me. So a good veteran group of leaders from the 89 class. And then, you know, the Lawrence Phillips and Tommy Frazier's and some of the young cats that were coming in. Uh, we really thought we were going to have a, a good football team. How did you feel about the, the shift, the switch from the 5-2 the to, to the 4-3? Uh, I know the result, but it was still a transition. In, in, in 93, correct me if I'm wrong, was that the first year you guys switched it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was ecstatic. I, I uh, uh, to be totally frank, I graduated early and, and uh, you know, really, really enjoyed playing football, especially at a, a place like Nebraska. You know, the, the, the fans made our experience so amazing. And uh, But I had kind of thought that um, and had wondered whether I would play my senior year, only that I had some other goals outside of football. And, and uh, I was a I was a okay player, I guess, as a junior. But uh, when Coach Samuel and Coach McBride sort of informed us that we were going to be going full-time to the 4-3, which, you know, we had used, um, a lot of people probably remember the 52 the seven game uh, against Colorado and Lincoln over Halloween in 92. Uh, and then the following week when we played Kansas, we predominantly played that dime 4-3 look, and, and that was just an awful lot of fun. And so when they, communi- so when they communicated that they were going to go full-time, move Eddie Stewart into to a linebacker role and, and just try to get more speed on the field, uh, that was very, very intriguing to all of us. And, and I think it was part of our – our confidence boost that we were going to play a style on defense that really fit our personalities, very aggressive. And uh, we're going to take some, some calculated risks, but we were going to get after people. And, you know, as a defensive player, that's your mindset anyway. And, and uh, being able to let loose and uh, really uh, uh, try to wreak havoc on opposing offenses is an awful lot of fun. Trev Alberts with us here of our city radio, YouTube Tuesday. Trev, I, I want to follow up. I, I didn't know that you we're, we're not that jacked about a senior season until you just said so. Was it, uh, I don't know, take me through what the, you had different goals. I completely respect that. I know you were a standout student, but um, did, did that defensive switch kind of make things fun again, or, or did, you, did you lose passion for it? It kind of explained to me the, the, the tug of war that was going on. Oh, I, I don't want to anyway uh, insinuate that I had lost in fashion. Or I, I loved playing at Nebraska. I don't know. I just kind of assumed, uh, you know, I I, uh, I went to University of Nebraska to get my degree, and I played four years. I, I had never, Chris, thought about playing in the NFL. I had never thought about, um, you know, I, I academically was on track. And, and uh, so I'm not suggesting that it was a real tug of war. I okay, had only okay. kind of thought about you know, and I'd had a couple of conversations with Coach Samuel, and, and uh, I think it was at one point when he said, "You know, Trevor, we're we're, we're going to go to the four three. I think you're really going to like it because I, I I think you can play in the NFL." And I, I just had never allowed myself, perhaps, to start to think that way, and yeah, and so that was a uh, you know obviously the uh, uh, the catalyst to, to get moving forward. Thanks for clearing that up for me. But, hey, it worked out, man. <laughs> he had an incredible senior season, uh, Butkus Award winner. And uh, let's go to, to that Saturday. I remember watching it. We always kind of rotated as a kid where we watched the, the, the Nebraska game. And, you know, the, the superstitious type and whoever's TV was undefeated is, is whose living room we ended up in and uh, until it didn't happen. And. What was that that UCLA game? I remember just how 
I was expecting UCLA to chuck the football. I mean, that goes back to kind of the Pac-12 or Pac-10 at the time uh, stereotype. But UCLA had a really good run attack, and and that what a what a what a win and what a stand the defense had in the second half. And going into that game, uh, what, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking about the Bruins as it was kind of the first first road test of the year? Well, I just remember uh, you know a couple things. First of all, I just uh, remember. Uh, there was about twelve or fifteen thousand uh, people dressed in red. Uh, it's one thing to have uh, a lot of support, maybe when you're in Ames or in Manhattan, Kansas, or something where you know our fans can drive relatively easy. Um, I just was really struck when we went out to warm up about what made Nebraska really special. Was here we are, you know, all the way in California, and, and there's only fifty thousand people there, so it's not like you know they were grounded out. I mean, it, it literally felt like half the stadium was, was big red fans. And, uh, so I just remember that. Um, I remember, you know, us talking as a team and, and coaches talking to us about, I think everybody knew that this was going to be a real test. We knew that they had a lot of skill and talent on their team. And, you know, we were trying to get ourselves into that national conversation of being a team that really could compete at a high level, maybe play again for a national championship. And, and, uh, so, this was uh, this was an opportunity for us, uh, you know, to play against a team that had a very good coaching staff. Terry Donahue was very well respected, and so, yeah, as you pointed out, I mean, you know, they had they had some pretty good players. They had JJ Stokes, I think, a wide receiver. At the end of the day, it, it really was about their running attack, and uh, you know, I mean, Skip Hicks uh, had a tremendous day, and, and the Shaman Shaw also had a, a really nice day. But when it really counted, and when it really mattered. Our team found a way, and I really think that that game gave us a lot of confidence. I mean, we didn't play well. We had four turnovers. Uh, they outrushed us. Uh, you know, they held the ball longer than us. But yet, uh, you know, defensively, we, we got pressure on the quarterback. It wasn't just me. I mean, we had, we had six sacks as a team, and uh, that's in spite of their running. So we, it was just, just like the rest of that season. You know, we, we stayed poised. We didn't panic. Um, and, and we found a way. I mean, we, we also had a lot of injuries uh, in that, going into that game. Tommy wasn't great. David Benning wasn't feeling well. And, and so we had a lot of injuries, but yet we just hung in there, never quit, stayed the course, and found a way to win. Trev Alberts with this YouTube Tuesday. Our game is the Nebraska road win at UCLA in 93-14-13. That UCLA team ended up taking the Pac-12 and playing Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And Nebraska able to to put enough defensive stops together. I remember watching that, and and you know, Damon's out, and Calvin Jones isn't suited up or didn't play because he was still nursing a knee injury, and it was a homecoming for for Lawrence. And man, the <laughs> sophomore delivered. He was incredible. Frazier gutted it out. But do you recall how many times UCLA either recovered deep in Nebraska territory or? They got a drive, but you guys got to stop. I think the third down numbers were pretty pretty bad for UCLA. You guys were money on third down. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact specifics of where it was on the field, but for some reason, my recollection is, is that our turnovers happened in, you know, just terrible. I mean, we were going in the score. I mean, there were, you know, opportunities, and, and uh, so that's why I meant we didn't play all that yeah. well. But I. Again, I, I really think that um, games like that, and we talked about it after after the game. Um, it's not pretty, you know. If you can find a way to get through that, it actually gives you an awful lot of confidence because uh, 
you know, I remember watching, we watched the film, obviously, as a team, and then you break out into your uh, offense and defense and then into your individuals and, and all of us. Uh, you know, there were a lot of plays left on the field. And so, you know, you start thinking, here we are on the road against a, a Pac-12 team with an awful lot of, I mean, Jonathan Ogden was on that team. Yeah. Uh, Jameer Miller, who was a finalist for the Butkus Award uh, with me, I mean, he was on that team. So, you're talking about a team that was a physical team, very good team, on the road. We turned the ball over four times, and they have zero turnovers, and we still find a way to win the game. Uh, you know, we, we took a lot of confidence out of that. Now, it, you know, I don't think nationally a lot of people were really uh, all that enamored by the one-point win on the road by the eighth-ranked team in the country. Uh, but I think when you delve a little bit deeper, uh, there was a lot of positives that come out of that type of a win. A few more minutes here. Trev Alberts with his YouTube Tuesday, Hale Varsity Radio. Uh, important uh, road win for Nebraska. You mentioned the confidence. And, uh, Trev, you, you, you finished with three sacks. I think I got my Sports Illustrated in the mail a week later, and you were the Defensive Player of the Week in Sports Illustrated for, for your performance. Ten solo tackle, tackles. Were you in the zone, or did you just kind of find the football? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. I mean, to be totally honest with you, Toby Wright probably should have been the Sports Illustrated Player of the Week. He had 13 tackles and uh, had a lot of uh, big plays. I, you know, I, I don't know. We, uh, again, we, you know, when you become a senior and uh, you don't have a lot of opportunities left, um, there just seems to be a little bit different uh, approach. And, uh, you know, I remember my mo- mother and father um, made the trip, and it was really special to me. They, um, that was as far as they ever ventured away from Cedar Falls, Iowa. And, you know, and then there were other little conversations that were motivational to me. Coach Samuel, um, you know, pulled me aside. And, and so for those of us that were seniors and uh, that were perhaps uh, hoping that we could uh, be considered for some awards, both academically and athletically, and then perhaps even NFL scouts, um, you know, they, they were very honest with us that uh, there will be a certain portion of the whole region of the U.S. This will be the only time. Uh, that they see you uh, as a player, and so uh, you know, I know I, I know our team was, and I, and I know I certainly was just really motivated to. Uh, it was a beautiful day. I mean, it was just it was wonderful. You're playing a you know UCLA, a historical team, in an incredible environment. There's fifteen thousand Nebraskans at the game. How do you not get excited for that? And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Trev Alberts, YouTube Tuesday with us. We're talking Nebraska, UCLA, the 14-13 win against a Rose Bowl-bound uh, Bruins squad from the Pac-12. Uh, great defense, enough offense, gutty performance overall by the team. Talked to Coach Samuel a couple of times in my career. Obviously, you got to play for him, but that guy was as good as it gets, it sounds like, with... Uh, the, the the rush ends at Nebraska, and he got you guys to, to kind of turn up when you needed to and just an excellent position uh, of, of, of Nebraskans that, I mean, you talk about that NFL, and you were a guy that went to the league and, and guys before you went to the league and guys after you from that rush end spot uh, went to the league, and he uh, he's one of the just unsung guys. I mean, Nebraska fans know how important he is, but... Uh, he he always had you guys flying around the football. Trev, when we talk about importance yeah. and we talk a little bit about uh, that confidence boost, wasn't your first close win in 93? You had to go to Boulder. 
Yeah, that that one in Kansas that was a a one pointer was did did, did the, that Saturday in the Rose Bowl give you confidence and and make you feel okay? We'll find a way to get this thing handled later on in the year. It was did you guys ever waver, or did you did you feel like all right, we're kind of a team of destiny? Well, I think I think it kind of built upon itself a little bit. And uh, real quick, first, I do want to say I 100% agree with you on Tony Samuel. His brilliance was people and understanding what made them tick. He wasn't a raw raw, didn't yell and scream and get you all. But he knew what it was that motivated you. And what motivated me was different than Broderick Thomas or Jeff Mills or Travis Hill or Grant Wistrom. But his genius was understanding it and then using it to uh, to benefit uh, the team. You know, I would say, Chris, the, uh, yeah, I think, I think that was just kind of the, the, the personality that our football team kind of took on. I mean, we were, uh, we were a bunch of fighters, and we were never going to be out of a game. And you look at the ebb and flow of a football game, and momentum is such a big component. I, you know, you look at even in the Orange Bowl when we lost to Florida State, there were multiple times where we could have probably said, well, you know, at least we played them close. We weren't embarrassed. It wasn't a blowout. Uh, but just to even-keeled, poised, hardworking, resilient um, group that just kept fighting. And uh, it wasn't one person or one side of the ball. I mean, it was, it was all of us. I mean, uh, you know, we, Byron missed a field goal against UCLA, uh, came back and made an important one. UCLA missed a couple. So that's just football and your ability to, to stay focused, keep working, stay together, stay unified. Um, that was just our team, and uh, I can honestly tell you that um, I, I don't recall one time uh, in my senior year uh, that our team, we never, ever, the thought of us losing really never even crossed our mind. We just always knew we were going to win the game. Perhaps it wouldn't be quite uh, as big of a, a margin as we had hoped, uh, but, but losing was not something that was, uh, was even part of our thinking. And I think that's part of you earn that through overcoming those barriers and obstacles and finding a way to win those close games like we did at the start against UCLA and then just really carried on throughout the course of that season. Travis, we say goodbye, and this was a lot of fun, and thanks for taking the time here uh, on the show. Who are some of the, the lasting friendships you've had with that team? You mentioned the class of 89, and, and that's a foundational class for what you guys did as juniors and seniors which, and, and what came after you. Uh, who are some of the guys that that kind of poured that concrete, so to speak, for you and for and and for the team with Nebraska football? Well, I mentioned a couple of them already, but you know, uh, Lance Lundberg did a lot of battles with him down in the old Schulte Fieldhouse one on one from Wausau, Nebraska. Gerald Armstrong, <laughs> the epitome of a of a walk on who um, had a dream, had a work ethic, and had an awful lot of talent and ability, and turned himself into a starter and a captain. I think he. I think he had, at one point, he had like seven receptions and six of them were touchdowns. <laughs> the guy was a walking touchdown down around the goal line. But uh, John Reese, Ernie Beeler was a real good friend of mine. Of course, Travis Hill was a year older. Yeah. Um, Toby Wright um, was an incredible. Um, just, just a lot of those guys. Terry Keneally, you know, Kevin Raymakers. Uh, just so many. You hate to start mentioning names because, of course, you don't mention all of them, and then you run into them around town and say, oh, you don't, you don't remember me. Uh, the fact <laughs> of the matter is is that, uh, you, know, we, you know, we had some characters, and certainly uh, uh, none of us, including me, were perfect. Uh, but by and large, I thought we had a, 
a good group of young men who uh, were brought together with one common goal, really kind of motivated and pushed along by, you know, the state and our alumni and fans who uh, cared so deeply about the university and the program and sort of helped us will our way to some victories that perhaps we maybe even shouldn't have had. But that's what made playing at the University of Nebraska so much fun. Uh, it, you know, football at the University of Nebraska matters. Um, and it matters just beyond the wins and losses. It, it matters to the state. It matters to the local economy. And it, it just flat out matters. So when you want to be a part of something, you want to be a part of something that uh, everybody's all in on, unified and working together. And I think by and large, you know, we, that's the kind of team we had. Uh, the young men who weren't uh, behind that type of thinking, they didn't last very long in the program. So, you know, we talked about that class in 89, Chris. I mean, I think we had 25 or 6 recruits. Eight or nine of them were gone after the first year. I'm not suggesting they were all gone because they didn't fit our culture. I'm saying and many of them were the highest. But not everybody made it. It was very demanding. It was very difficult. And Coach would tell us that if you do see it through and you are a finisher, great things will happen for you. And some guys didn't. And uh, so the guys that did make it, you know, did fight through that, you know, the freshman team or then being a red shirt and getting beat up a little bit, um, you know, ultimately got to, to uh, have some of the rewards at the end. And, and those were the guys that got to play against games like UCLA. So uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That, that family-type atmosphere and mentality and, and common goal. And Coach McBride, when he's with us, references – uh, the pit or the the one-on-ones and how you'd be going at Lundberg, not you specifically, just as an example you just touched on, and, and how, I mean, it, it just it, it brought the best out of each of you, and, and then you could just leave it at the practice field and you guys were good to go to hang out at, at the training table. That That's pretty unique. Yeah, it really is. I mean, but that's absolutely true. Coach McBride is right. And, and, but, but part of the reason we could do that is because of how they talked to us. I mean, they talked to us like men. They communicated well with us. They were very transparent. We talked about those kinds of things. We talked about, you know, literally, in a sense, going to war against each other, even though your teammate, in practice to get better. And I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I didn't like him at all in practice. In fact, I couldn't stand him. I certainly didn't like Will Shields either. Uh, but then at the end, when it's training table or study hall, uh, you know, we're on the same team. And it was about helping each other get better, being great teammates to one another. And uh, and then, frankly, Chris, once the game started, the reality was it was kind of fun to, to play against guys and realize that, um, you know, the best players I played against were the guys I played against in practice every day. And so um, I, I knew I never went into a game thinking, that this guy is going to be something that I've never seen before. Uh, every every time I played against somebody in college football, uh, I had played against somebody equal or superior in talent, technique, and work ethic at the University of Nebraska in practice. That's pretty. That's pretty powerful. Trev Alberts, YouTube Tuesday, Nebraska UCLA ninety three. Trev, best to you and your family. Stay safe and healthy. And thanks for a few minutes with us here on YouTube Tuesday. Certainly. Have a great day. Thank you, Chris. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Rolling through a Tuesday here, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's a best of Tuesday, as Chris 
out this afternoon at an appointment. Also going to be out tomorrow. So tomorrow it's going to be Will Wilson and myself filling in on Hale Varsity Radio as we take you through a Nebraska bye week. Going to continue getting your reaction to Nebraska-Minnesota. Uh, a look ahead to what's coming up this weekend in the Big Ten schedule, as well as a look ahead all the way up to Purdue coming up about 10 days from now. So a lot to get through this week. As I said, rolling through a best of Hail Varsity Radio today. So we had Trev Alberts just now. We had Phil Steele leading off our one. Still some good stuff coming your way as Jimmy Burrow, father of Joe Burrow, former defensive coordinator at Ohio. He's going to be with us leading off our one, our interview going back to July 15th. That's when we sat down with Jimmy as we discussed Frank Solich's retirement as well as Joe Burrow's return from that ACL injury. That's coming up to lead off our two. And we also have our sit down with Lars Anderson as his book, Season in the Sun, uh, detailing the uh, Tampa Bay Super Bowl run last year. Looks like Tampa Bay, uh, barring any injuries, is going to be on another run towards a Super Bowl this year. Uh, so we're going to sit down with Lars Anderson to recap his book, which detailed that season for Tampa Bay. That's all coming up next hour. But man, listen to that Trev Alberts interview. Uh, just really, really confirms to me that Trev Alberts knows what he's doing in that athletic director role. He gets Nebraska football. He's going to get this thing right, uh, regardless of it's Scott Frost at the helm or not uh, obviously Scott Frost hot seat talk has cooled immensely this season the uh, the talk regarding his assistance has heated up though in recent weeks especially after that Minnesota game we'll get some thoughts on that uh, coming up tomorrow again it's Will Wilson and myself filling in for Chris hoping Chris will be back with Hail Varsity Radio on Thursday Friday and Saturday of this week again Will Wilson and myself Elijah Herbal coming your way tomorrow before we get out of here this hour uh, it's time to remind you that there are over 1,500 crashes each year in Nebraska involving an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed, or high is never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working day and night to stop it before any more people are killed or injured. If you're going to drive, don't drink. If you do drink, make sure you designate a sober driver or get yourself a ride share. You need to get a ride because a DUI costs more than you think. A message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. In addition, uh, it's also good to remind you that nearly 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska are not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury in a crash by up to 60%. Your best defense in any crash is to buckle up. Another message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. Again, more Best of Hail Varsity coming your way next hour. Jimmy Burrow as well as Lars Anderson. But before we get out of here this hour, it's your chance to win tickets to Joe Rogan down at Pinnacle Bank Arena. This one coming your way uh, a week from Friday. That is October 29th. We had our winner, Mike, yesterday win his tickets to Joe Rogan. This is for a pair of tickets at that show at Pinnacle Bank Arena, free of charge for you and a guest. It's going to be a great show, Joe Rogan, host of the Joe Rogan Experience, a commentator in UFC, and obviously a stand-up comedian. His stand-up act coming to Lincoln. It's your chance to get some tickets. We're going to be taking caller number seven here. Caller number seven will get their chance to win. 402 466 3776. That's 402 466 ESPN wins a pair of Joe Rogan tickets.
Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. The best of Hale Varsity rolls on with our interview with Jimmy Burrow back on July 15th. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We're uh, going to talk some football here, some Nebraska, some Coach Solich, and uh, of course, uh, some Joe Burrow. We welcome in uh, proud dad and, and standout Husker and, of course, defensive coordinator with Ohio for a number of years, Coach Jimmy Burrow. Coach, thanks for the time. Let me ask you this. How's vacation? Uh, how's vacation going? <laughs> well, uh, it was great. And then uh, uh, Coach Solich uh, retired yesterday, so I've, uh, I've done my share of uh, Zoom uh, interviews and uh, uh, radio interviews uh, over the last couple days. Uh, but that's all good. Uh, uh, you know, any anything that I can do to to say great things about uh, Coach Solich, I'm I'm willing to do. But uh, uh, and you can still uh, in Florida, you can still do those things either by the beach or by the pool. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah, beach, pool, golf course. It, it's it's warm. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 nice. Jimmy Burrow's with yeah. us. I you know you have such a great relationship with Coach Solich, uh, his defensive coordinator for for a number of years. And you know what? What? What's Frank meant to Ohio? In 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 your eyes, can you put into words his his time uh, at Ohio U? Well, he 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 changed the the culture of of uh, Ohio University of football, and and in doing so, uh, was able to to promote Ohio University to uh, to another level, also with uh, with all the publicity that that he brought to. Uh, to Ohio and and the success of, of our team, uh, you know, all all of that uh, is is has really uh, helped Ohio University and of course the football program. But and when we first got there, uh, I'm I'm not sure our understanding that that the kids didn't didn't really believe they could win and and uh, that's what Coach Solich is so great at. It didn't take long for them to to buy into what uh, a coach was bringing to the table and. And uh, you know we we went into our first home game believing we could beat Pittsburgh uh, on national television, and and we did. So uh, uh, the the culture that that he's changed and set in place for uh, for the future of uh, Ohio football and Coach Alban is is uh, it's really it's unmatched uh, in, anywhere for that matter. And uh, uh, you know there we're going to miss him there in Athens and uh, with the with the football program, but. As I said, he's leaving it in good hands, and, and he's leaving it in, in a good place. Coach Jimmy Burrows with us, Hale Varsity Radio, remembering Coach Solich as, as, as what he did at Ohio, and a lot of Nebraska fans uh, still think fondly of Coach Solich as a player and as a coach. Coach Burrow, uh, with, with Frank, not to get too into the weeds here, uh, none of my business, but from a health standpoint, um, I know Frank's seventy-seven, but you know he can he can do more push-ups than most thirty-year-olds. He's <laughs> he's incredible shape. But from a health standpoint, is 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 this the right time, uh, in your opinion, for Coach to be stepping down for Coach Solich to step away? Well, I'll, since he's doing it and and he's made that decision, then then I'm going to say uh, he he 
he believes it's the right time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as you know, and 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 most everybody that uh, that has a relationship to him, he doesn't share a lot of things uh, uh, personally, even mm-hmm. even with uh, uh, privately with with his closest. Uh, uh, friends and and uh, uh, people that he that he really trusts, but uh, you know I I know that there's there's a reason that he that he's he's chosen to do it, and and again, uh, if he says it's the right time, then uh, that's good enough for me. Jimmy Burrows with us, uh, Jimmy. What what did you think when you when you made the jump from from North Dakota State to, to Ohio? And North Dakota State, incredible program. You also, a lot of years at Washington State and Iowa State, also your career, of course, in, in Lincoln. But what was what was that experience like for you uh, with Ohio? Well, uh, Coach Alvin was, uh, had joined us at uh, North Dakota State. So, uh, uh, you know, Coach, Coach Solich, uh, he'd actually come to a game and watched this play, I think, Cal Poly and, and – uh, uh, in his in his year off, and you know we we had we certainly had a good football team, and and uh, offensively and defensively, and and uh, so he when he took the job at Ohio, he, he offered uh, uh, Tim the offensive coordinator job and me the defensive coordinator job, and and you know we knew that uh, from from visiting with him that he was really that year off that had uh, re-energized him and and really. Uh, you know, got got that competitive spirit going again, and and uh, uh, you know he was he was very optimistic, and you know I've been around him a lot in recruiting, and and he does a great job selling his program, and and without us knowing really anything about uh, Ohio University, uh, he he didn't have to sell us on Ohio University. He just had to to sell us that it was the right place for for him, and uh, knowing that he bought in. Uh, you know, made a big difference to, to Tim and I, and and uh, we joined him. But even when we got there, uh, we, we weren't really prepared for for uh, where the program was. But uh, we we still thought with Coach Solich's leadership that you know we could turn that thing around fairly quickly. And you know, to me, to to, to join uh, with Coach Solich, I mean, he'd been so so big uh, part of our our family, mm-hmm. uh, coaching Jamie, coaching Dan. Uh, and and then getting me really back into uh, Division One uh, coaching football at, at Nebraska after my tenure at, at Iowa State. So you know we we hit hit uh, a ride with with who we thought uh, was a, not only a great football coach but but a great person and uh, and it and it really played out very positively for me and and Tim and and uh, both of our families. Jimmy Burrows with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, uh, longtime assistant, defensive coordinator, associate head coach uh, for Ohio under Coach Solich, uh, coach stepping down yesterday. And uh, last thought on, on Coach Solich, Coach Burrow. I mean, Solich was such an incredible recruiter, obviously in a phenomenal position coach, really good head coach as well. But Frank was so good at recruiting, not only eyeing talent, but he just seemed to be one of many high-level recruiters Coach Osborne had. And what what was what stuck out to you about about Frank's ability to recruit? And I just think all the all the Jersey guys he connected with. Well, I think when when he stepped into a, uh, a home, uh, it, he he became uh, just his personality and his professionalism uh, right right away. The the families. Uh, 
felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. The, the recruit felt comfortable. And, and you know, he's not a, a big self-promoter, but just just listening to him uh, sell, whether it was Nebraska football or, or Ohio University football, I think he trusted him. And uh, that's a big part of recruiting, and I, I've been through it uh, as a coach and, and mm-hmm. as a parent. And uh, that's uh, that's a big part of of the decision made by by a young man is can you can you trust the head coach and uh, can you trust what he's telling us and, and selling and uh, he was tremendous at that. Um, I never saw him use notes. Uh, I never saw him as we were going to the house in a car review any notes. It was just Coach Solich uh, being being Coach Solich and uh, uh, always was well prepared in his mind, you know, what, what he had to get done in the, in the, in the home. And, uh, it was, I learned so much every time I was in a visit with him and, and, uh, uh, you know, even the, the up until now, he, he's still, uh, they got a great recruiting class that just came in and, and he was still on top of his game. That's impressive. Uh, Jimmy Burroughs with us, Hale Varsity Radio, longtime assistant at Ohio, Husker standout. So, Coach, uh, thoughts on, on Trev. Uh, that was uh, Coach Solich retires. Trev is having a presser at 11. Uh, I got to do a, a, one-on-one, yeah. a, a one-on-one with Trev yesterday. It was great to get caught back up with him. And uh, as, a, as a Husker, what do you think of Trev making his way back to Lincoln? Right. Well, first of all, full, full dis- disclosure, uh, Bill Moose and I were, were very close friends. We worked together at, at Washington State University. Uh, he was our Cougar Club director when I worked for Jim Walden there for for seven years. So you know I was I was excited when <clears throat> Bill took the job, and uh, I was disappointed when when he did leave. But mm-hmm. uh, knowing Trev, he had spent a week with us uh, at uh, Ohio University once, sitting in on our defensive meetings uh, many years ago, and got to know him. And I think it's great that that somebody who played football at uh, at Nebraska, former player is is now running the program, and and I'm excited uh, about the direction that that I know he'll he'll uh, uh, take all all sports, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly uh, a, a former player has a lot of insight in in what what made that program successful uh, under Coach Osborne and and uh, under Coach Solich, and and uh, you know Coach uh, Scott Frost is. Is, is going to get it get it going, and and I'm sure uh, Trails has has some ideas about all that, and he's 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 proven that he uh, you know he can he can manage uh, uh, an entire uh, uh, sports uh, athletic department mm-hmm. and done it done it well, so uh, I think it's uh, I think it's great, and uh, uh, you know we certainly uh, wishing good luck. We have three former players in our family with me, Jamie and Dan, and. Uh, uh, um, my wife now is from Nebraska, and and uh, uh, you know, so uh, we're excited about it. I think it's a good good hire. With Bill Moose, and we always uh, every chance I had a ten, uh, time and to to talk with Bill Moose, I always enjoyed it. And uh, you think Bill's just going to enjoy retirement on on the ranch? What what do you see from Bill here in the future? I think that's probably it. I haven't. Uh, Spoken with him, other than a, a text or two since uh, since he left Nebraska, but uh, I, I know well, he, he's already been close to retiring uh, mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. I think before he took the Nebraska job, so 
he's looking forward, I'm sure, to the ranch in, uh, uh, in Washington. And, and uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's put in a lot of great years at a lot of great universities and been very successful. I think in, in his mind, uh, he's leaving Nebraska in a, in, in a better place than it was. And, and uh, he's, uh, I'm sure he's content with uh, uh, what he accomplished there. Jimmy, are you, are you? I know you're you're locked in on on Joe and and his season. We'll get there in one second. But are you going to get to any Nebraska games? You're just going to watch from afar. How do you how do you treat the the Nebraska element well, of football during the fall? Well, the last game uh, we we did uh, uh, we were guests with Bill and his and his uh, uh, athletic uh, athletic director uh, suite for the Ohio State game. Okay. So uh, uh, we we got a chance to. To be there a few years ago, Joe wasn't at Ohio State anymore, for I, so I was fully invested in in rooting for the Huskers against the Buckeyes. <laughs> so uh, it didn't turn out very well, but uh, we'll try to get back. You know, Jamie, uh, my son lives in uh, Omaha, and uh, most of my uh, uh, wife's relatives are, are uh, throughout the state there. So uh, I, I'd like to I'd like to get back. Uh, you know, I I, I got that particular day i got to visit with coach osborne and and that was great uh you know so and, and i still stay in touch with some of the players so maybe one of these reunions i think there's one coming up uh here this fall maybe uh maybe i'll try to get back i, I still uh would like to come to some games but i like to go to the bobcat games still will mm-hmm. i want to go to lsu and and see all the Bengal games mm-hmm. so if there's fans this year i'm gonna be busy you are. You get an RV and, a, and an airfare, and you're, you're a happy guy going to football games every weekend. Coach Jimmy Burrows with us. Last thought, how's Joe doing? Uh, I, I just loved watching him play ball and, and felt so sick with the injury. But, man, oh, man, uh, what tenacity he's he's gone after the, the rehab with. And just seeing some stuff on social media, he looks pretty strong. And I know he's, he's, th- he's been throwing. How, how are things with Joe? He's uh, progressing well. He's he's uh, able to work out uh, down here with us on vacation uh, with his strength coach. Um, you know he's 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 not a hundred percent, but but he's he's moving in that direction. His goal is to start the first game, and uh, he, we think he's on track to to do that. I mean, there's there's over two months uh, until first game against the Vikings, uh, so. He participated in many camp and, and the uh, uh, the OTAs and and uh, was able to do most most everything. Certainly, you know there were certain uh, drills he was limited in, and he uh, plans on the 27th, I believe, of July to to again pick up where he left off in the in the last uh, mini camp. And you know they're they're excited and uh, we're excited again. We only got to go to four games last year, mm-hmm. so we're. We're planning on, I think there's 17 this year, plus the playoffs, right? So yeah. we're, uh, we're going to a lot. One last thing about Coach Solich, he was mm-hmm. the first to offer Joe as a quarterback. He, he takes he, he takes a lot of pride in, in, the, uh, <laughs> in, in saying he was the, he was the first. And, and I, I haven't mentioned this a lot over the years, but if Ohio State had, would not have uh, probably offered, uh, he had, Joe had, many many uh power five mm-hmm. offers but uh he loved the bobcats i think if it hadn't been for ohio state he'd have probably played for coach and uh and became a, a, a bobcat back then but wow uh, you know it, it turned out good 
uh, for him uh, at LSU and uh, the Bengals, uh, you know, another Nebraskan, Zach Taylor. He, he loves uh, uh, Coach Taylor, uh, and, and I've had some conversations with him. I knew him when he was at the University of Cincinnati, so uh, I, I've, I've known him for, for several years, And and uh, but he's he should be good to go for that first game. Well, we're looking forward to it. We're really uh, cheering for Joe, obviously, and, and of course, Zach, and uh, big Bengal fans with uh, with Joe. Uh, Jimmy, you take care. Enjoy your vacation. Coach, thanks for a few minutes today. All right. Go Bengals, go Bobcats, and go Huskers. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we say hi to native Nebraskan Lincolnite, and he's down in Alabama with the Jay Barker Show. 20 New York Times best-selling books, and another one I feel like's on the way. We say hi to Lars Anderson at Lars Anderson 71 Lars, how are you, man? It's been a while. It's been a while, Chris. Uh, good to catch up. Good to hear your voice. Knocking out book after book here. You have a, a, a real fantastic offering for football fans. I know Nebraska fans will be all over this as well with the Levante David and Indomitian Sue and Khalil Davis connection, but the Tampa Bay Bucks championship run, a season in the sun, the inside story of Bruce Arians, Tom Brady and the making of a champion. This is fantastic. Lars, let's start off with this project and how it kind of materialized for you. Yeah, so Bruce and I wrote a book together in 2017 called The Quarterback Whisperer. And our editor at the time was um, at a at a smaller house and a smaller publishing house in New York. And he, since then, he's moved on to HarperCollins. As the Bucks were progressing through the playoffs, I reached out to Bruce and said, hey, would you be willing to do something if you guys win? And he was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I wrote a, a short email to our editor and he said, okay, well, let's just wait and see what happens in the game. All right, so they blow out the Chiefs 31-9. to Then I just wrote probably just a three-page memo kind of outlining the vision for the book. You know, I was going to be the solo author on it, and Bruce would help me with access to coaches, to players, uh, just basically open doors that wouldn't be open to any other reporter. Of course, for that, Bruce is, is compensated something was able to get put together a book deal literally within about a, a week you know it normally takes i mean months and months and months for these things to develop uh and it usually requires a book proposal anywhere from 50 to 80 pages and here i just write this quick four-page memo and we got a very uh lucrative deal and um the only problem was that i had uh nine weeks to write it uh, normally it takes me 18 months to write a book. And so I just uh, I got in my car, <laughs> got my dog, and uh, went down to Tampa. Uh, drove like 10 hours and uh, just sort of camped in Tampa at a hotel close to Bruce's house for, um, you know, a, a couple weeks, basically. And, um, and just interviewed as many people as possible and then just started putting together the narrative. And it really is, it's absolutely fascinating how they landed Brady, uh, how difficult it was for Brady to learn the Arians' offense, how in many ways the Arians' offense 
runs counter to everything that Tom ever did in in, in, in New England. The New England offense, it's, it's referred to as the uh, Ron Earhart slash Ray Perkins offense, and it was then tweaked by Charlie Weiss and modernized uh, right when Tom got there in, in, in 2000. Uh, but still, it's, it's really sort of a death by a thousand cuts. I mean, Tom loves the short throws to, to the running backs, uh, just the short stuff over the middle. He's not a, uh, at heart, he's not a risk, taste, risk taker. He kind of views things through the prism of what can I do while minimizing risk, realizing my own limitations and realizing where the ball is on the field, what the down and distance is, what the score is. Well, B.A. is the complete opposite. He's like, look, if it is third and one and we got the ball at our own nine-yard line and you see our best wide receiver lined up to the outside in press coverage, there's no over-the-top safety help, I want you to audible from a run play where we're probably going to get the first down to uh, 88 go which is Bruce's favorite play. It's just a straight go route. And, uh, and, and, and so, I mean, and so this is just a foreign concept to, to Tom Brady. And also the, the verbiage is different. Uh, and so it's almost just like he had to learn a whole new language. And, 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 and in a way, you know, I, I think that this, what made this season so special, and, and by most metrics, by the way, Chris, Tampa Bay went from, uh, in, in terms of team merchandise sales, from, I think, 28th in the league to number one. They had an increase of 2,500% from one year ago till, uh, to about like last week. And, of course, it's all because of Brady. But uh, I think Brady became, and correct me if I'm wrong, and, and again, I'm, I'm so close to it, it's hard for me to have perspective, but I think Brady became more relatable this year, more, uh, he showed a, a humanness, he showed frailty, he showed weakness, and he, it, it revealed that he wasn't the, you know, just the guy, whether you whether it was true or not, the perception was everything had been gifted to him. He looks like a J. Crew model. He's married to Giselle, uh, the, the, the wealthiest model in the world, uh, and she's actually made more money over her, her career, uh, over $560 million than Tom has. I think Tom's right at 275 right now. Um, and, and, and so I think Tom just, he, he, showed, he, he showed, again, like um, a relatability. And I think it increased his popularity. And then at the boat parade, you see him intoxicated on, on, on his $2 million yacht that he bought just a few days before the boat parade. And then you know, getting getting inebriated, throwing throwing the trophy, and I and again, I think he's almost like the only person on the planet who can get away with public intoxication and actually increase people's affection for him because it's because we're seeing a side of Tom, and also just sort of battling Father Time, doing this at age forty three. Um, it, it, it's really an incredible thing, and, and then and Bruce becoming the oldest head coach to ever win a Super Bowl. And uh, for Nebraska fans, I'll tell you, he absolutely loves Levante David. He's his favorite player on the defense. He's the leader of the defense. Whenever Bruce wants to sort of take the temperature of the defense, of the players, of their feelings, of their attitudes, 
he goes to Levante, and like and and Bruce always does uh, does this with every team he's been on. He 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 picks the most respected vet, and he establishes an incredibly close relationship. And uh, you know, it was it was uh, Levante who kind of noted that Leonard Fournette. Uh, during practices was sort of distancing himself from the rest of the team. And this was at the midway point of the year. And he would, he sat through an entire walkthrough on a water cooler. And, and, uh, and it was Levante who, who mentioned to BA that you need to talk to Leonard. And, and Bruce did. He went and, and said, and, and again, at this point in the season, Leonard was not getting many carries, uh, like, you know, just a few a game. And Bruce said, okay, here's the deal. He's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you, but I'm not going to let you destroy my locker room. Mm-hmm. And you can go inside the facility, take 20 minutes, call whoever you need to call, and then you come back out here and you tell me to either cut you or you're all in. And so Leonard did that. He went inside, made a few phone calls, came back out and said, coach, I'm good. And not even Bruce could have realized how vital Leonard was going to be. I mean, you can make the argument that Fournette really was the Bucks' offensive MVP for the entirety of the playoffs, and that went back to Levante having a conversation with Bruce. Lars Anderson's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, A Season in the Sun, his new book, The Championship Run for Tampa Bay, uh, Unparalleled Access uh, with Bruce Arians and the Bucks. That's Levante. You talk to him, you talk to his teammates, past and current, and uh, they will do anything for him because he does everything for them uh, on the field, off the field. Playoff Lenny was huge. But the, the personalities that were acquired by, by uh, also native Nebraskan Jason Light, incredible. You bring in Antonio Brown. Here comes Gronk. Meanwhile, you've got Brady. Mike Evans has been great for dec- for you know for a decade plus and and you add weapons so it's not all on on Evans shoulders. Your offensive line stellar. You get Sue back uh, or you add Sue to the roster and Levante's always kind of been quietly killing it and finally he got some exposure. Bruce is just magic it sounds like Lars not only with the Fournette story but just He's not afraid. He looks at the talent, and guys want to fit in and play with him, play for him. Absolutely. And, you know, when he took the job in 2019, he 100% thought that he could fix Jameis Winston. Uh, Bruce holds a football camp here in Birmingham, Alabama, and he got to know Jameis when Jameis was just, uh, I think, in ninth grade. And they had sort of maintained a relationship over the years, and, and so – Bruce thought he could turn Jameis into an elite quarterback, into uh, a Pro Bowl quarterback, into a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But, you know, Jameis ends up throwing 30 interceptions. That's more than any other quarterback has thrown in the 21st century. Um, The last interception was just the dagger in 2019. He threw a pick six, uh, uh, threw a pick six, and it was the quickest overtime game it was on the first play of overtime. It was the quickest overtime game in NFL history. And Bruce just was saying, enough's enough. And they were really looking at Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, they thought that Bridgewater was going to be their guy. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden Brady is having some issues and they start hearing 
these sort of rumors coming out of New England that Brady could be available. And this guy, John Spitek, very important figure in the Brady, in the landing of Brady. He's a, a scout for Tampa, and he played with Brady for one season at Michigan. And he sort of through his own sources, own mutual friends with Tom, found out that, yeah, this is real. Like, Tom is he's ready to go. And, um, and, and on the first day of, of uh, free agency, uh, it, I think it opened at 4 o'clock. Uh, at 4 o'clock and 10 seconds, uh, Jason Light, you know, uh, Nebraskan, who I absolutely adore. I love Jason Light. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. We have, we, you know, we have mutual friends. But he knows Ted Wright. He used to be a bouncer at the Brass Rail. Uh, I, I got so many great stories. I got so many great stories about Jason. Um, and it, but I'll get into that in a second. But at, at four minutes ten seconds, he, Jason calls uh, Don Yee, who is Tom's agent, and he said, "You made the right call, Jason." And they went on to talk and said that, you know, Tom's interested. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Continuing the best of Hale Varsity as we go and recap some of the best interviews over the past couple months here on Hale Varsity Radio. Let's continue on with our interview uh, with Lars Anderson from back in May. Lars Anderson continues on with us here, Hale Varsity Radio, on a Thursday. And uh, Lars, tell me about that phone call between Jason Light, Bruce Arians, and when they got on the horn with Tom Brady. Three days later, the first day that they could have um, have talks with players, Jason drove over to to uh, BA's house, and uh, you know, again, they're both sort of former bartenders slash bouncers. As one of them put it to me, before they called Tom, they. They got a little personality in them, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, five seconds after free agency began, they called Tom. Tom answered the phone and said to Jason, what's up, babe? And right then, they knew they had him, you know, and, and it was almost like Tom was pitching himself more than the Bucks had to pitch Tom, because Tom had already done his research. He knew about the wide receivers. He knew about the young, talented defense. He knew everything. He knew he wanted to be in a warm weather climate. He and uh, Giselle were going to uh, build their forever home, which they're doing right now in Miami. He knew that that Derek Jeter's place, the, the, the biggest, it's a mansion. It is, it is it's the biggest house in Hillsborough County which Tampa is in, he knew that that was vacant and that Jeter had offered, you know, Jeter was going to be his landlord and he'd have to pay rent and everything, but he knew that that was available. Just all the stars aligned. He wanted to play with Bruce, who uh, I think, you know, you know through talking with me and just knowing about Bruce, he's the anti-Belichick. I mean, Bruce, do you imagine Belichick having a tailgate out of the back of his car after every game? I mean, he couldn't do it this last year because of COVID-19, but that's what Bruce does. He wants his players to come by. You know, and anybody who wants to come by, he'll he'll give you a beer or make you a drink. He's so close with his players. Uh, he wants to know, you know, about their personal lives. If they ever have any problems, they can they can approach him. Uh, he's just a very approachable, likable guy, and you can't necessarily say those same personality characteristics apply to Belichick. But um, they knew from that very first phone call, Jason and, and Bruce, that, that they had their man. 
Yeah, and Tom could have asked for more money. I mean, it was, I think it was a two-year, what, 25, two-year, 40 million. It was just recently renegotiated. But um, he could have asked for anything he wanted, and they would have given it to him. Um, and uh, and then Tom, he was willing to – he was going to change his number uh, because number 12 was worn by uh, Chris Godwin, wide receiver. And, uh, and, and Tom was, he was going to change it, um, to number eight. Uh, I'm sorry, to number seven because he wanted that seventh Super Bowl ring. But, but Godwin, uh, being a pretty smart guy himself, um, knowing that he was coming into a contract year, he wanted to make sure that his quarterback felt very good about him. <laughs> so he, he gave the number up for free. He didn't charge Tom anything. You know, you've heard these wild stories in the past where I think Clinton Portis paid like $35,000 uh, to get the number 26 when he was with the Redskins. And, you, you know, you've heard, heard all this, this, these crazy stories, but, but uh, Godwin just gave the number over to him. Um, and it, but again, it, it took a while. You know, first game out of the gate, uh, you know, Tom throws a pick six. They they get beat by New Orleans. Uh, they lose three out of four games going into the bye week. During the bye, uh, Rob Ninkovich, who is a former Patriot and a teammate of Brady's, he goes on ESPN's Get Up and says that so that Arian should be fired. And, uh, you know, Arian, and Bruce watched it. He saw it, and, he, and Arians is just like, this guy's got no idea what he's talking about. He doesn't know how close we are. And after the bye week, um, they, uh, Bruce and Tom spent hours and hours just figuring out more about the playbook, trying to meld what Tom was comfortable with and what he was doing at New England with the Arians sort of way. And bam, they just take off from there and they end up winning eighth straight in the Super Bowl. You know, and look, they conquered, um, uh, uh, Drew Brees, his final game. Brady says goodbye. They conquer Aaron Rodgers on the road. Aaron Rodgers may never play another game in Green Bay. Who knows? And then they conquer Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is just a masterful defense from Todd Bowles. It was to me like the, the defensive coordinator was the sort of MVP of that. You know, Tampa had blitzed uh, on a percentage-wise more than any team in the NFL uh, heading into that game. But because the Chiefs had two, uh, both their left, their left tackle and their right tackle were both injured, um, Bulls was confident that they could just pressure, get pressure with four. Um, Mahomes was hobbled a little bit with an ankle injury. And, um, and, 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 and so that he, Bowles sent fewer blitzes in that game than he had in the previous, like, seven years when he was presiding over a defense. So he was just totally out of character. They just, they were, they were going to double Tyreek Hill wherever he went. They were, they were not going to let Tyreek Hill get behind them. And uh, they also thought uh, it was a big advantage if they played the Chiefs earlier in the year because it's like you can see their speed on tape, but it's different kind of speed when it's on the field. So now they knew kind of what they were, they were up against. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a really fun story, and the fact is now they have all 22 starters coming back. First time that's happened since 1977 with the Oakland Raiders. 
And, uh, and I, this team was just hitting its peak in the playoffs, you know, and, uh, and, and, it, it, and again, even though Brady's the sort of headliner, this is a team built by the defense. This is a team where the, the, the strength of it is, is the defense. And, and again, Bruce absolutely loves David and he loves Sue. Um, and, and Sue is still playing also at a very high level. Well, uh, Lars Anderson with us. Lars, that's uh, fascinating about Bowles. And you got Shaq Barrett. He's a, a, a UNO kid until uh, they disbanded the program. And uh, he's a kid that was at Boys Town. So there's another Nebraska connection. But you got JPP and, and Barrett off the edge with Sue in the middle. And you didn't have to blitz. And they really took advantage of, of Kansas City and, and earned a, a title. And, and I know folks are still smiling about it. Is, is BA surprised they got it done this soon? I know they hit their peak, but usually it's it's a second year deal after you kind of get your footing. Absolutely. When they're at seven and five at the bye week, when he had that long chat with mm-hmm. Brady, he was thinking about trying to build momentum for twenty twenty one. He was not thinking about the Super Bowl. I I, I, I mean, he, you know, he told me that straight up. He was just trying to fix. They again, they lost three out of four, and Tom often looked lost out there. there there's just no, you can't deny that uh, early in the season. He didn't know where his receivers were going to be. It hurt him because they missed OTAs. They missed, I mean, they the, the Bucks, uh offensive staff estimated that Tom missed something like 1,500 reps because of, because of COVID-19. And not only that, literally thousands of more mental reps that he could have done with coaches. You know, they're facing a big uphill battle. But, yeah, I mean, it, everything was geared toward 20. 21 toward this upcoming season not last season i mean again we saw them win their last eight games and none of them were really that close packers game yes questionable decisions by matt lafleur but especially if aaron Rodgers ends up leaving uh, the nfc i i can't see the rogers thing getting resolved it's either he goes or the general manager goes and and and, and we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out they are primed for a, a, another run no question about it Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. It's Elijah Herbolt back in here on a Tuesday. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt had an appointment today, uh, so uh, unable to make it in for the show. Instead, we decided to run a best of Hail Varsity Radio. If you've been listening today, thinking, wow, this, uh, this information all sounds so old. That's because... It is. Uh, we are taking you through some of the best interviews over the past couple months here on Hale Varsity Radio. Haven't had the chance to do this in a little bit. Thought a bye week for the Huskers would be a great chance uh, to get one of these out of the way as we have heard from Trev Alberts back in Hour 1. Our YouTube Tuesday sit down with him discussing the UCLA game back in 1993. We had Phil Steele, Jimmy Burrow, uh, and Lars Anderson most of this hour. Let's finish off this best of show with one last thought from Lars Anderson, a story about Bucks GM Jason Light's time working at the Brass Rail. Lars, last thought here. I need a Jason Light bartending story from O Street back in the day. Yes. Uh, Jason told me about a night that um, an intoxicated customer who he had turned away followed him to his Jeep, 
by the way, Jason, you know, he cruised around town with a Jeep that didn't have a top on even in the dead of winter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, followed him to his Jeep and pulled a knife out on him. And um, the guy, and right at that moment, one of Jason's teammates from Nebraska uh, arrived on the scene, and the guy lost grip of the knife. And let me just put it this way. Uh, the outcome didn't end well for the attacker. Uh, the, <laughs> the snow on the ground was covered in blood, and it wasn't Jason. So, uh, but, <laughs> but he did tell me that, um, you know, he kind of had to reevaluate <laughs> where he was going with his life after that night. Well, it's worked out well. Lars, best to you. We'll, we'll get caught up again. Congratulations. A season in the sun. The story of the Tampa Bay title run with Lars Anderson. Lars, when's this uh, book come out? It's hopefully going to be out late September, early October. Well, we'll get a copy, and uh, Nebraska fans, you'll love this read. Lars, take care, buddy. All right, thanks, Chris. See you, bye-bye. So we wrap up Hale Varsity here on a Tuesday. A reminder uh, that we will be back live tomorrow. Will Wilson and myself taking you through a Wednesday uh, before Chris planning on being back on a Thursday. And uh, that Lars Anderson interview, good timing as Lars Anderson's book, A Season in the Sun, dropping today uh, nationwide. So if uh, that interview interested you and you want to go out and get a copy, uh, you can do so now. A Season in the Sun detailing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2020 championship season. Uh, I actually didn't even know that when I selected that for the uh, uh, for the best of segment today, went and looked it up while Lars was on. I said, oh, wow, well, this was uh, good timing, I guess, is Lars Anderson's book out today. You can go get that at Barnes & Noble uh, or online. Uh, Lars Anderson, an author of 20 New York Times best-selling books. Again, if you missed any of the show today, uh, it was a good best of show. Haven't got the chance to do this in a while. It's always fun to uh, to reminisce on some of our better interviews. You can uh, go check this out online in podcast form, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like to get podcasts. That includes uh, ESPNLincoln.com as well as uh, Hale Varsity's YouTube page. It's another good place to go get it. As, uh, not, not a lot of people know about that one. Hale Varsity's YouTube page posts uh, Hale Varsity Radio every single day. That's where you can check it out. We'll be back tomorrow. Will Wilson and myself, Chris Schmidt, will be back later in the week. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We'll talk to you tomorrow.